It happens in every field, almost every day, at least every season it happens, whether it's a classroom and a teacher, he or she looks at those students, or maybe it's a a team that looks at their coach, or an employer looking at all their employees, a, a project manager looking at those on the team, they lay out all the components it will take for that project, for that team, for that class, for that individual to reach the highest mark. They say, here's the task. Here's the job. Here's... The things that you need to make the grade to finish that project. And if you just want to get by, here's what you have to do. But if you want to be great, if you want to excel, here are the things that you have to do. In Revelation chapter 2, in Revelation chapter 3, there are seven letters to seven different churches. Churches of that day, that first century that Jesus was crucified, buried, and resurrected as the turn of the century, that first century would come about. There were seven letters. And this morning we are going to look at the first of those letters. The letter to the church at Ephesus. If you have a Bible in front of you, turn with me to Revelation chapter 2. and We're going to look at the first seven verses of Revelation chapter 2. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, the verses will be on the screen as we walk through them this morning. I want to talk with you this morning about the careless church. The careless church. Because Ephesus was a careless church. We'll see that. Let me read for us these verses. And as I read, I want you to think about a couple of things. One, what's it saying about Jesus? Because it says a lot about Jesus. What's it say about the church? What's it say about us as individuals in the church? And are there things that we need to do or stop doing? A couple of questions as we walk through it this morning. Church at Ephesus. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of Him, Jesus, who holds the seven stars in His right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works. I know your toil, your patient endurance. And how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and found them to be false. Verse 3, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love 
you had it first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent. Do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, you must speak. You must speak, or this is an exercise in futility. Father, you must speak to this church, your church, Riverbend. You must speak to these men and these women. For they are your sons and your daughters. Father, we don't need another few moments of me talking. Lord, we need you to speak. Thank you for a letter that was written some 2,000 years ago. Thank you for examples that have been laid out time and time again. But most of all, thank you for coming yourself. For putting on flesh and taking my place on the cross. For paying for my sin, my iniquity, my transgression against you. And for loving us. God, would you speak this morning? In Christ's name, amen. told you last week that we are 10 years old, and uh, we still are. Sometimes we act like a 10-year-old, sometimes we act like a 2-year-old. One day, I hope that we'll act like a, an adult, however they are supposed to act. But I want to talk to you about the church, the church at Ephesus. The church at Ephesus started, you can look at it in Acts chapter 18 and Acts chapter 19, the church at Ephesus was started by Paul. He came and there were some those that had heard a man by the name of Apollos preach, but they didn't have the Holy Spirit yet. They, they had been baptized in John's baptism in chapter 18, but then they received the gift of the Holy Spirit and they were baptized there and they knew Jesus. And that's how the church started. Just think, if your pastor was the Apostle Paul. First pastorate was Paul. He spent some three years there in Ephesus, and he laid the groundwork for them from the very beginning. What we would call orthodox or orthodoxy, the right doctrine was laid out for the church at Ephesus, and they did not have that problem. You just heard Jesus some 45 
50 years after that, say, hey, I understand you've got orthodoxy down pat. You know those false prophets? You call them out on it, you say, nope, that's, that's wrong. You have orthodoxy down pat. And then after some three years, he turned the pastorate over to his son in the spirit, Timothy. Timothy was the second pastor of the church of Ephesus. We don't know how long Timothy was at Ephesus, but then there was a 30-year period when the third pastorate came on board, and he was none other than the, than the disciple John. I mean, what a top of the order. Paul, Timothy, and John. Pastor first, second, and third. I don't think you can get any better. And Jesus wrote to those at Ephesus a letter. And in that letter, there are three key statements that I believe are for you and for me this morning. Because every one of these churches found themselves in physical existence in the first century, but every one of these churches have characteristics being lived out each and every day in our church, not just River Bend, but in the church today. In 2017, I believe some of the same things are happening that were happening in Ephesus, in Pergamum, in Thyatira, in Smyrna, in Sardis, in Philadelphia, and also in Laodicea. And as we walk through these letters to the churches, I'm so thankful that Jesus, that God, allowed us to have these letters kept. So first, let's look and let's see the alarm bells. The alarm bells of a reminder of who is in charge of His church. Look there in verse number 1 of chapter 2, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write the words of Him who holds the seven stars in His right hand who walks among the seven golden lampstands. To understand who this person is, you need to go back to chapter 1. We saw it last week in chapter 1. All the descriptions, all the, the attributes and the characteristics of Jesus are spoken of. And to every single church, all seven of them, some of those characteristics, some of those attributes are going to be spoken about. But all of them are listed in chapter 1 by John. Chapter 1, verse number 9. Chapter 1, verse number 11. Verse 12, verse 13. All throughout the first chapter, he says, I'm John, and here's who I'm writing to, and here's who I'm writing about. I'm writing about Jesus, and specifically to Ephesus, he is the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. Who were the seven stars? You've got to look at the last verse of chapter 1. The seven stars are the messengers, are the pastors, are those angels to the churches. The seven golden lampstands are the churches themselves, the whole body of that particular church. And I'm also the one who walks amongst those seven golden lampstands. You're like, that's kind of weird. Kind of mystical, maybe a little, but just understand this. 
the pastors of the church at Ephesus, Riverbend, and whatever other church you want to put in the name for, that pastor is in the hand of Jesus. And Jesus walks amongst the lampstands, i.e. the churches. In chapter 1, He's standing in the middle of them, and now He's walking amongst them. What does it mean? It means this, that He is the one He is reminding Ephesus. He is reminding Riverbend. He's reminding Brian Tillman. He's reminding you that he is the one who is in charge. Who's in charge of the church? Jesus is. Who says that he's going to build his church? Jesus does. Who calls out to the church at Ephesus and says, hey, pay attention. Listen up. I've got a letter for you. Jesus. Riverbend. Letter is not written in words, black ink on a white page in the book of Revelation from Jesus to the church at River Bend. But he is in charge of this church just as he was in charge of all of these seven churches. And you and I need to pay close attention. There is a reminder of who is in charge of the church. Jesus speaks. He walks. He holds the the pastors in His hand. He knows the works of the church. Just like He knows the work of this church. But not only do we see that there's this reminder, but let's camp out for just a moment at a second key statement. The second key statement is this. A status is shown of where they are. Are a status is shown as to where they are. I'm a dad. I'm also a son, and uh, and I remember my parents when it came time to discipline me. They tried their very best to find something good. They really did. They tried hard to find before they just brought it. They tried to say, you know what, you actually did, well, you didn't even get close, son, I'm sorry. But that's what Jesus does right here. Jesus comes to them and he could just start out and say, you lost it. You you left your first love. You forgot about me 25 years ago and you hadn't even looked back. I'm I'm not even in the forefront of your mind because you're doing all these things for me. But that's not how he came about. We sang about it just a moment ago. He gently brought them to their knees. He gently spoke to them and said, Hey, here's, here's some things that I have for you. Because I know you. I know your works. I know that you've patiently endured. I know that you, you hate the false, the false doctrine, the false teachers. I, I know that you're doing all these things for me. There's a status a reminder, a status to show exactly where they were. I'll tell you two stories. Um, first, I don't know if it's 10, 12, 12 or 14 years ago, I was pastoring in Tate County, and at the time that I was pastor down there in Tate County, 
um, the county brought to the vote the sale of alcohol. And there were a group of pastors that came together in Tate County, and we came together, and I mean, we went all in against the sale of alcohol in Tate County. And about six months before the vote was to go to the ballot box, we had a meeting. And, and I was not the only one, but I was the dumb one and raised my hand to speak. And I said, hey guys, there's about 15 of us sitting around the table, not just of the Baptist persuasion, but, but we were sitting around the table and I just raised my hand and I said, how many of us really think that the folks in Tate County know what we're for and not just what we're against? Because we were all against alcohol being sold in Tate County. And I said, just think about it for a second. Does Tate County know what we stand for? I was pastoring Coldwater. Does Coldwater know what I stand for? Does Coldwater know what First Baptist Coldwater stands for? I think that they ought to know more about what, they, what we stand for than what we are just against. Bring it. About that same time, I heard this story. Adrian Rogers, pastor of Bellevue Baptist Church, was uh, coming to somewhat the end of his ministry at Bellevue, and he led his church to give a million dollars, one million dollars to the city of Memphis. No strings attached. Wrote a check, signed it, and handed it to the mayor and said, do with it whatever you want, but just know this, Bellevue loves Memphis. Because I want to be a pastor of a church that the city where I pastor, here's what he told the mayor, told the leaders, the city of the church where, that where I pastor, I want that city to know that what we're for. And we're for them. We're for love. We're for Jesus, not just what we're against. Jesus comes to this church and writes to the church at Ephesus and said, here's some things that I'm for. I, I see all the stuff that you are doing. Your works. That word toil there means that they are sweating even to the point of exhaustion. It is a good thing to work. Patient endurance. How you can't bear with those who are evil. Those who are evil are given a name a little later. If you look down there in verse number 6, it set, states this, Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. How would you like to be written in Scripture and the only reference to your name in Scripture is something that Jesus hates? Yeah, Brian Tillman, I hate. Whew, I would not want to be remembered that way in Scripture wouldn't want to be remembered that way in anything. But the only time, it's twice, here in 2 and also in chapter 3 about these Nicolaitans, Jesus hates them. So who were the Nicolaitans? I believe it's one of two groups of people. One, if you look all the way back in Acts chapter 6, one of the deacons there in Jerusalem was a man by the name of Nicholas and maybe... Somehow he caught up with some, he and his followers after him had some bad teaching and they went wayward. And they are the Nicolaitans. But also, 
might be. Don't know if you ever put on a swoosh. Phil Knight picked it up in the 70s. Nikos or Nike goes with a victory or a victor's crown or one who is lording it over, ruling over man. The Nicolaitans might be a group of people who were lording, ruling over the people in such a way which was leading them astray and Jesus hates them. The church at Ephesus hated them. And Jesus was thankful that they too hated the things that he hated. But let's just talk about the elephant in the room. The elephant in the room was what he had against them. It's not what he was commending them for, but what he was about to say. If you want to know your status... If we as a church want to know our status, here is the main point of the letter. It was a letter to speak to this specific church about this issue. But I have this against you, Ephesus, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. I know we can't go back in time, but let's just try. Let's just imagine for a moment. We find ourselves in a house in Ephesus. Preacher stands up, and he's reading this letter from Jesus. And he says, Hey, I know, I know your works. Man, you are, you are on it. You're toiling. You've got so much endurance. I know it's some tough times coming. I know that, that there are some folks that are trying to lead people away. Those Nicolaitans, I hate them. You hate them. It's all good. Don't you think that passion? Oh, yeah. And then the words, but I have this against you. Um, can we just pause here? We'll come back next week, and uh, we'll just see if that's still there next week. This is what I have against you. Sir, you've abandoned your first love. Ma'am, you left your first love. Church at Ephesus, River Bend, may we not leave our first Love. Why I, in, why I titled the sermon, The Careless Church, is because of that verse. It's not that they quit loving. No. They loved. They just loved the wrong thing. They were not a loveless church. No, they just quit loving Jesus. They kept doing all the ministry. They kept going all the places. They kept doing all the things in the house and out of the house, in the house and in the community. They kept doing all the things for the city, but they left their first love. They became careless. 
Ed Stetzer states it this way. He says that every church has not just the opportunity, but has the DNA for missional or purpose drift. We get focused on something, and I mean the current is there, and it just takes us down the river, and we don't even know about it. They were doing all the things that they needed to do. Their orthodox, their doctrine, everything was great, but their orthoproxy, their practice, was a little skewed. Why do we go to South Asia? Why do we go to Central Asia? Why do we go to Nicaragua? Why do we go to Parkway and Riley? Why do we go to Hill Street? Why do we go and minister in these places, whether it's in our city, in our region, or halfway around the world? Why do we do it? Do we do it to have a t-shirt? Do we do it to get some good pictures and see a, a different landscape? I pray not. I pray that the reason why we go across the street, why we go in this city, why we go in this area, why we go anywhere is because of Jesus and our love for Him. Oh, church, but I have this against you. Do you feel that sting? Do you feel the sting? The one who is in charge of the church. The one who died for the church. The one who is walking amongst the church. Says to the church. His church. You've abandoned me. Have you? Have you abandoned the king? By doing all the stuff for Him that you have abandoned Him. That you've put all the exercise and all the practice and all the ministry in your life, but you have carelessly shooed Him to a corner. Shooed Him out the door. Didn't mean to. But it's happened. If that is you this morning, if that is us this morning, then be of good courage because he has an action plan. He has an action plan for all of us. The action plan is laid out for today and the action plan is laid out for future days. Listen to the action plan. Verse number 5, verse number 6, and verse number 7. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come. I will come to you 
and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Skip verse 6 and listen to verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Threefold action plan. First is this, you've got to remember. What do you have to remember? Church, we've got to remember him. I told you last week, Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah saw God, he saw himself. What happens is, as was stated earlier this morning, in the midst of our busy lives, in the midst of our 9 to 5, in the midst of our kids growing up and all the activities and all the the classes and all the responsibilities of life. We forget. We forget that Jesus Christ is the faithful witness, that he is the firstborn of the dead. He is the ruler of kings on the earth. To Him who loves us. He is the one who loves us. He is the one who freed us. He is the one who cleansed us, washed us by His blood, and made us a kingdom, made us priests to His great God, that He is coming, that He is the Alpha and the Omega, who is the Almighty One, who was and is and is to come. He's the one who has this roaring voice like many waters, John states in chapter 1. That his eyes are like a flame of fire. His feet are like burnished bronze. His voice, like that roaring water. His right hand, he, held, he holds the seven stars. And in his mouth, it comes out like a sharp two-edged sword. And his face is like the sun shining at full strength. That one we must remember. Because when you get that picture... You see him, you will repent. You will turn from all the junk, all the stuff the church at Ephesus needed to remember. They needed to remember him. And as they were would remember him, then they would repent. What does it mean to repent? The action plan is remember and repent told you the story a couple of times. But it's D-Now weekend, and I need all the 14-year-olds, male and female, to raise your hand. 14-year-old. If you're 14, raise your hand. Raise your hand high. Here you go. At 14, there was a man by the name of Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards, at 14... You can Google it now or later. At 14, he wrote 99 statements about his relationship, about how to stay close. And one of those statements at 14, he stated this about sin, repentance, and confession. He said, 
when I come to my right mind, after sinning, when I come to my senses, when I get my sanity back, I will immediately repent. What is he saying? He's saying for a brief moment or moments, he was insane. For brief moments, he lost his sanity because he was expecting something different than the action that he knew that he was committing was against what God wanted him to do and it was going to take him to a different place than it was actually taking him. Because what is sin? Sin is you going against God, expecting it to be great in its total failure. And you being insane and me being insane by doing it over and over and over again. And he said, when I come to my senses, I will immediately repent. And come back to it. Confession. I was not thinking that way when I was 14. Some of you might say I'm not thinking that way when I'm 43. But the action plan for you and for me, just like it was for the church at Ephesus was this, that you and I must remember. You and I must remember Jesus. We must remember. We must know Him. And then we will repent. And then the third point of His action plan for you and for me is that we've got to return to the first works. The first works. What works? are the first works. Mark chapter 12, verse 29 and following tell us about the first works. The first works are the great commandment. Started all the way back in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9 Jesus is answering a scribe in Mark 12, and the scribe's like, What's the, what do we have to do? And Jesus said, well, you got to love God with everything that you have, and you got to love others like you love yourself. And the scribe says, you're smart, you're right. And she's like, no, duh, I'm the son of God. Six times in Deuteronomy, God reminds his people about that. Over and over and over again, we are reminded about that Jesus states it and it's recorded of him saying it in all the gospels to love God with everything that we have and to love our neighbor as we love ourselves but also I believe the first works are the fruit of the spirit Galatians chapter 5 verse 22 and 23 love joy peace patience kindness goodness Gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. I think I might have missed one or said one twice. But the fruit of the Spirit is a first work. Why is it a first work, church? It's a first work because that work was done in you, changed your heart, changed you from the inside out. And when you go back there, people will see you different. Last night, 
couple of us were here, but uh, the room was about half full last night, and the Warriors graduated four guys in the Warrior Discipleship Ministry, uh, 13-month ministry where guys are living in a house, they are being discipled, being poured into over and over daily. Four of the guys graduated last night, and the service was here, and for about two hours, um, they were quoting scripture, but my favorite part of it was all four of them shared their testimony. They shared their testimonies, and you can see their personalities come out. I've gotten to know all four of the guys that graduated last night, and they shared their testimonies, but what was unique was their personality, but what was constant was Jesus. Jesus changed their lives. And Jesus desires to change your life. Maybe you're on the fringe at River Bend. Maybe you're a core member and part of River Bend. Maybe you're on the fringe of this whole Christianity thing. Maybe you're core. I mean, you are sold out. The letter is to both. Because the letter focuses on Jesus. And whether you're the fringe or the core, whether you've got questions or you are totally surrendered, totally committed, the focus must be Him. Because when you see Him, when you see Him, you'll want Him. He desires for you to know Him, students. He desires for you to know Him, adults. He desires for us to know Him as He knows us. He created us. He wove us together. And He desires for you to know Him. And when you see Him, you'll remember, you'll repent, you will fall on your face. And you will do those first works. Maybe those first works for the first time because you've never known him. Maybe those first works because you're coming back to him. But we're about to give you an opportunity. We're going to introduce you to a new song, I believe, one of my favorites that is being sung right now. But it's an invitation for you to come to the altar. Am I right? Is that what song we're singing? So you can come on up, band. You can lead us in this. But as they come... I'm going to pray for us, but as they come, it's not talking about this altar right here. You can come to that altar. Love for you to come to that altar. But that's not the altar it's talking about. It's talking about you and me coming before our almighty king and laying everything down and saying, I'm coming back to you. I'm yours. Every bit of me is yours. I'm sold out. Whatever you want to do, I'll do it. Wherever you want me to go, I'll go. Because I know you. Heavenly Father. Father, it's a, it's a heavy message of your church leaving you. Father, it's a heavy message of 
you standing before your church and saying, you've done these great things, these good things, but here's what I've got against you. Father, may it not be the case at River Bend. I know we have issues. I know there are bumps and warts and God, we miss it. But Father, may we not miss you ever again. 